grandfather tell me how it was when you were young Was the world so very old when your life had just begun Oh grandfather tell me is it true you worked the land And the tools that you used you made with your own hands Before time was only money and machines made man Good afternoon and welcome to Living Permaculture on KDNK. I'm your host, Vanessa Harmony of Colorado Edible Forest Plant Nursery at Rivendell Farms in Spring Valley of Glenwood Springs. I'm joined by my co-host, Jerome Osentowski of Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute, which I'll refer to as Crimpy, located in Basalt. On today's program, we're featuring Matthew Davis, a landscape architect with over 30 years of ecological design and site planning experience a former environmental design professor at University of Colorado in Boulder, and now the executive director of Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute. We'll discuss Matt's background and learn how he'll be leveraging his skills and experience at Crimpy. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Matt, you took a permaculture design certificate course, or PDC, at Crimpy in 2019. Had you been exposed to permaculture principles prior to that, and how did the PDC experience impact your work and your career afterwards? Well, it had been, um, permaculture design had been something I had uh, had a great curiosity for probably 15 or 20 years before I did the PDC. I had brought some of the lessons, some of the, I had guest lecturers come into courses while I taught at Temple University. I took courses on urban sustainability, regenerative design, and I really gained a huge respect for this. And I was always thinking in the back of my mind, how can this merge with what I do as a landscape architect? Um, and I can trace back that to how I studied and was taught landscape architecture at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and that, you know, I could see the convergence of those two fields in some of the basic practices, how we do site analysis, how we do... Um, uh, site inventories, how we look at opportunities and constraints, how we observe and interact, how we catch and store energy, all those type of things were part of you know, the ecological design that I was trained in at, at Penn under uh, the tutelage of Ian McCarg, who, um, you know, in 1969 wrote a book called Design with Nature. And when I picked that up as an undergraduate um, studying forest biology, uh, in Syracuse, it really sort of changed my life to say, well, we can apply these ecological principles to how we develop, you know, our human habitation, how we plan for things, how we put nature first, design with nature versus against it. Uh, and that was McCarg's, you know, treatise in that, in that book that was, you know, 50, 60 years ago already, close to. So after taking the PDC, did you immediately feel like you wanted to make a shift in your career? I knew right away. Um, I think shortly after that, there was a convergence in permaculture convergence in Colorado convergence and I attended that and I could really get opportunity to meet people and it was a conversation I struck up with Nick DiDomenico at Drylands Agroecology Research Elk Run Farm and um, he you know we just started talking and he asked me if I could do some drawings they're they're applying for grant money and you know documenting the property and the work they've done at Elk Run Farm and learning so much from Nick through that process we started to collaborate on a number of other projects. We did probably four or five other farms in the Boulder-Longmont area. And each one was a learning experience. Each one was a little different. 
you know, agroforestry, silvopasture, integrating that with um, other activities on farm sites, um, looking at uh, other forms of income through event sponsoring and using that land um, in its all its capacity. And uh, all of those projects have come to fruition. They've been installed and now becoming soon to be productive. Um, so that was really exciting and that really kind of changed how I thought about what I did and how I can apply my skill sets into, you know, farming and agriculture. Uh, you know, one of the concerns I had before that was our food system is just an absolute mess. Uh, industrial agriculture is a huge contributor to greenhouse gases. And, you know, that's the low hanging fruit in my mind in terms of how can we can re reverse some of, you know, the things we've done to our climate and to our planet through generative agriculture and carbon sequestration and Farming and agriculture is one of the number one ways to do that. And you had already been in Colorado teaching at University of Colorado Boulder for how long? I was there for a little over two years. Okay. That um, was not probably not the best fit for me. I was coming really out of an ecological perspective. I mentioned uh, my bachelor's degree was in forest biology. So, you know, at, in a, at a younger age, I was doing permaculture without even understanding it, understanding how ecosystems work. And as I moved into landscape, I could apply that knowledge of ecology into a design process. So it was, uh, that was not something that I felt was really addressed enough. Um, you know, every school has its own direction and, uh, you know, um, curriculum and it just, um, I, I couldn't find myself, I guess, mm -hmm. enough. So. At the same time, I was meeting, you know, these farmers and permaculturists in Front Range, and that sort of drew me into, you know, working with them and, you know, sort of shifting gears into, you know, applying the, my skills into, you know, regenerative agriculture, permaculture, silvopasture, and, and the like. Mm -hmm. And what was it that brought you to the Roaring Fork Valley? Well, um, just about a year ago, I decided that um, I might go back into my profession uh, more of a traditional landscape architecture role. I was working in Aspen for a while. And again, I felt some frustration in not being able to apply, you know, the permaculture side, the regenerative agroforestry side into the design work I was doing. And um, I was doing more planning than design work, and that's not really, you know, my forte. I'm doing, you know, urban planning, not urban planning, but um, community planning, zoning stuff, and it just wasn't uh, also the best fit. So I went freelance, uh, the opportunity at Crimpy came up, and I jumped on it, and we've been kind of evolving my role within the organization as, uh, as needed, because um, it's all hands on deck in a small nonprofit such as Crimpy. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, um, Matt has so many different skills. He's kind of like the Renaissance man, uh, a bit like Michael Thompson and me. There are a lot of people that have lots of different skills and not only being a, a landscape architect, but he's a good carpenter and craftsman. And uh, so with, we've been able to, you know, get a lot of things done and kind of work between the lines because we still don't exactly know, you know how, how we're going to navigate our you know livelihood programs going forward but we're making progress and we're you know getting our you know our permits and getting um you know we've got a, we've got a couple people that we're looking at for 
for the livelihoods program and uh, Matt has written uh, you know three or four grants already that will help fund that so he has lots of different op- you know skills that would um, that you know you wouldn't have to fire hire four people you just hire one person and then they, you get a lot of stuff done it's kind of it's probably part of the extremist consciousness stuff. That right. And goes stacking on. functions. Yeah, stacking functions. Yeah. Well, Matt, I was inspired by a bio I found on the internet that you had written. Um, the website is Why on Earth? And I'll quote that. So, Matt believes that the measure of any human landscape must function in accord with local native ecosystems supporting their process and function and, where applicable, be a regenerative force while serving human purposes. I liked that. Can you highlight some of your flagship projects where you felt like those ethics were most highly illustrated? Well, um, I, I, this, I came up with that description bio as I started to move and work with permaculture and regenerative agriculture out here. So it is a reflection of the more recent work I've done in the last five years. Before that, you know, you would be lucky in a traditional landscape office to be able to do things like stormwater management and, and um, meadow restoration, riparian restoration. This is where we found ourselves doing more of the ecological services and design. Um, so I was thrilled when I could really explore this in much more detail. And I think that um, that description came out of, you know, how my practice was evolving you know, based on my experience and the people I've met in Colorado and the interactions um, with those those great people in the Front Range and out here in, in the Valley. So um, it, it was an evolving kind of thing that, you know, I almost want to think not to get overly dramatic, but, you know, everything I've done in my past has sort of brought me to this moment. Um, I mean, I think everybody can say that, but, you know, I, I look back at, you know, where I grew up. I, you know, nature was my playground in suburban Philadelphia. And that fostered a, a sense of understanding and respect for, you know, the hundred acre wood Christopher Robin in the, you know, old growth beech forest and trout streams behind my house. And, you know, all these things sort of made for respect for what I do and, and want to be a part of preserving that. And it sounds like in your new role at Crimpy, you'll have the opportunity to implement those ethics in various designs, yes. whether at Crimpy yes. or... Um, as our listeners probably know, Jerome and Michael Thompson operate a consulting and greenhouse design business called Ecosystems Design. So are there any plans for you to join projects as a consultant with Ecosystems well, Design? I think we have plans. It'll depend on the project. Um, you know, we, just an email from Michael yesterday where the client is expressing, you know, a plant list which um, is maybe not practical. You know, where, you know, how far do you want to push the limits of a greenhouse to do bananas and cacao, which are not maybe work with a Mediterranean or subtropical greenhouse? It not just, in Wyoming, anyway. Not in Wyoming, no. uh, especially yeah. that Wyoming. Yeah. But, um, you know, so we have to temper that. And they're also talking about temperate fruit trees, and they're not going to work in the greenhouse. And so maybe that'll expand to a forest garden. And that might be a place where I might come in and help out with the planning. Um, if we have larger projects that have master planning for, you know, not just the greenhouse design where Michael does the climate battery and, you know, with Jerome in, in, in concert and, you know, the plant selection, the soil building, but it may expand into a larger forest garden or regenerative system out in maybe agricultural fields if it's a larger landowner. Yeah, so, I see there's a, there are a lot of opportunities to uh, 
to integrate Matt's uh, experience into our design because, um, you know, Michael does the technical stuff of greenhouses. I do the plant materials, but we also um, can do, you know, larger landscape design that would need a landscape architect. So in fact, one of the the projects that came to the forefront just a, f- a few weeks ago was a, a, a project in Thailand Matt can be involved in, and there are more of them that uh, we get. We have about 10 projects going right now uh, with ecosystem design, different greenhouses in Wyoming and New York, and uh, three in the valley here. So uh, there's there's quite a bit of activity. Um, so Matt, will you be traveling to Thailand as well? Unfortunately not. Uh, someone has to stay back and mend the fort. So I see. But I understand you've been researching some other permaculture design projects around Thailand and Vietnam and Indonesia to try to get some inspiration for the spring onion farm in Thailand. Are yes. there any specific um, and exciting projects you have your eye on that you can tell well, us we're, about? We're still in the process of researching and reaching out to these farms uh, uh, to do tours with them. There's some permaculture projects and organic farms, uh, eco villages and eco communities there that we want to visit. You know, I'm just drafting a letter now to these groups and, you know, explaining what we're doing and, you know, our experience here in Colorado and, you know, the work that Jerome has done, which is, you know, just internationally recognized and applying a lot of these principles to the subtropical climate of northern Thailand. So that's, it's a really fun research project. And um, I'm really excited about, you know, working, at least doing research and collaborating on this project, um, you know, to maybe offer something different to the community there without, you know, changing the cultural, the con- you know, working within the context there, of course. It's our first priority. Observe and interact is, you know, rule number one. Yeah, we were getting ready for uh, some, some uh, last, yesterday we uh, moved all of our citrus project uh, uh to a new area in the greenhouse and getting away from the window. We have, I have about 30 uh, potted up citrus plants that some will go in the, pretty much they'll all be sold actually as patio citrus. But, um, and we also picked a huge box of citrus to send to one of our patrons yesterday. And I brought you some tangerines. This is our, oh boy. our first tangerine har- harvest. And uh, we, we picked grapefruit, red grapefruit, tangerine, uh, Buddha's hand, which is a huge hand, which is actually a citrus. Like a finger lime? And we all know it's not. It's different than that. It's much bigger than a finger lime. We have finger lime, too, but it's not fruiting yet. Uh, and we have uh, red, blood orange and um, a couple more you know, lemons and limes coming on. So we have about 10 different citrus uh, in our greenhouse now. Just, you know will be fruiting in about, all of it will be fruiting in about a year and a half. So uh, that's just something that, um, you know, um, I'm always adding new new things. We put pomegranates as well and uh, that's um, about, oh, cactus, yeah. cactus fruit too, I think. Well, I understand that you have some more winter travel plans beyond just Thailand. And I don't know if Matt is also having to stay behind when you travel to <laughs> to Puerto Rico. Um, but um, first, let me just define agroforestry for our listeners. So defined by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, agroforestry is the intentional integration of trees and shrubs into crop and animal farming systems to create environmental, economic, and social benefits. 
Crimpies launched an agroforestry school where students can participate in hands-on learning events around the world. The next event coming up is in partnership with the newly formed Caribbean Agroforestry Institute, which is an organization co-founded by our beloved past co-host Stephanie Sison and her partner Dan Whitney. The Caribbean Agroforestry Institute, or CAI, is an agricultural educational nonprofit that offers technical resources to train students to design, implement, and manage diverse agroforestry systems in the tropics and across the world. It is based on a 35-acre off-grid farm and homestead in Puerto Rico. CAI and Crimpy are hosting a permaculture design certification, or PDC, course from February 2nd to 12th, 2024. So, yeah. Matt, will you have to stay back again? Yet to be determined, but <laughs> most likely, um, I would love to go down and, if if not participate, observe. Uh, we'll we'll see. I think it's it probably prudent for me to take care of things back in Basalt. Right. Yeah, I'm going to be going down, and, and this is our second one now. Two years ago, we did a, a on a different property, the one they were leasing, and now they have a new property they own. Dan and some volunteers are going back down to build infrastructure. I think they have the kitchen. It's not going to be a temporary kitchen. It's a permanent outdoor kitchen uh, for the class and for ongoing workshops. And so, and they've got a, quite a bit of agroforestry planted out now. They've done some uh, contour planting, and um, I sent a bunch of lucayana seeds from my greenhouse. And uh, Stephanie has a, you know, she does. Uh, wonders with her plantings and so she's been working on and we do need a lot more people to sign up so if you're um, looking for a place to get out of the snow in February um, and you want a little vacation time a lot of people came last two years ago from Carbondale area and Paonia just to get out of the snow and they uh, sort of vacationed there for a while and they took the PDC hung around it's a very casual uh, you know, situation. You know, mm-hmm. Puerto Rico is a very, you know, uh, you know, pretty easy place to get around, inexpensive as well. So, and then in continuation of your tropical tour in February, you're going to be traveling to Costa Rica for the North American Agroforestry Conference. Right. I'm so going to be presenting there. Uh, this is my third time to be at one of these international conferences. Um, That'll be interesting, networking with what's going on uh, around the world. Um, you get a chance to see that one YouTube video on the uh, India project where they're, they're planting a billion trees in one, one, one region, which is fascinating. And um, Andrew Millison, who runs the permaculture uh, class and program at the University of Oregon, goes around the world now doing videos on different projects and he um, he featured this particular uh, agroforestry project where they're you know, doing massive tree plantings and watersheds and uh, restoring the, the groundwaters and uh, setting up nurseries and very it's a very grassroots um, but it's a very large project. And uh, it's a fascinating, um, um, I don't even know where you could just go on uh, on YouTube and search for Andrew Molson. 
uh, you know, planting one billion trees, I think you'll find it. Yeah. So I think it's a good model. It's much bigger than we would be doing in Thailand or in Costa Rica or Puerto Rico. But it's, it's something you could scale down or scale up. Um, we just need to be planting trees, um, billions of trees, yeah, carbon, carbon farming. Right, and another organization I told Jerome about that I learned about recently that was actually started by a high school student and her mother is called Seas of Trees with the mission to do the same, plant trees around the world. Yeah, I've checked that one out, yeah. Yeah. Well, another ongoing project at Crimpy is the cabin construction, and I understand Matt will be helping to create a master plan for the cabin site. What are some of the exciting features you can share with our listeners? Um. Well, just I, I think being at the inception of this project, um, I visited Crimpy after 20, 30 years, you know, when I've been there at various times, and seeing it's in, in, you know, mature state. Now we are starting from ground zero, like Jerome said. We are mulching and adding leaves and hay and manure. Um, we are going to be doing more terracing, um, and we just made it our first tree order to do our starter plants, our nitrogen fixers, our natives. Uh, maybe some rootstock in there, and which will will start in April. But really, you know, it's exciting to be in the beginning of a project. And for anyone listening out there, this is a great opportunity for a livelihood program to be at the start of a really incredible agroforestry project. So give us a holler. Yay. But it also kind of feels like the exciting end of a long and tumultuous <laughs> bureaucratic process. <laughs> Will the cabin, when it is completed, be your retirement home? Well, there's a there's an issue there uh, because now the county says I can't ask, I can't uh, rent, can't rent the the cabin uh, other than just rent it as a bedroom. I may be able to move in there, but but they may even say I can't even go into my cabin and sleep there because um, I don't have access, legal access. So your oasis will be accessible by foot? Yeah, we can walk up from the house, but uh, that's, I do that every day anyway. So, But anyway, so the, um, the idea is that I may, yeah, I might turn, I might be living up there for, I might move, move up there as my retirement home. Which would mean that the lower house is going to be free and available for potential people that would like to form livelihoods and live on Basalt Mountain and contribute to Crimpy. That's exactly right. The, the lower house would be a, a place for all the livelihood people to live. And uh, that's where we're, we're working on now, and that's we've been advertising that. And so that's, that's our plan, and um, I'll be traveling uh, quite a bit uh, all winter and, and every winter, hopefully. In the tropics, you know. Well, as we approach the end of the program, Matt, do you have any closing remarks or thoughts you would like to end with? Oh, gee. Um, I think I might have said most of it. Um, I think that I'm excited about, you know, our future. We have, um, you know, having losing the special use permit has, you know, really put a stick in the spokes. But um, you know, going back to one of the principles, respond and adapt to change. And I think our livelihood program is a way to work through that. Um, and I'm really excited about about helping out with that and, and maybe being one of those livelihoods. 
Yeah, and I see Jerome has some closing remarks he would like to end with. Yeah, well, I was thinking that if we have time to read this poem, I might just do that. And this is a poem that I've, in my, it's in my book. It's called The <coughs> Humble Administrator's Garden. By? By Vitmarsh uh, Set. So here it goes. It's a plump gold carp, nudges a lily pad, and shakes the drain drops off like mercury. And Mr. Wong walks around, not bad, not bad. He eyes the fragrant chamber dreamingly. He eyes the rainbow bridge. He may have got the means by some dubious means, but now this is the loveliest of all gardens. And what do his scruples knew of beauty anyhow? The humble administrator admires a bee posed on a lotus, walks through a bamboo woods, strips half a dozen loquats off a tree, and looks around and sees that it is good. He leans against a willow with a dish and throws a dumpling to a passing fish. How does that inspire you? Well, I have a pond, and um, I spent uh, a month traveling in Nepal, and I picked up a, a book of, of Vitmarset's poems in a, a little bookstore, and um, this is the title home and uh, um, I what's nice about writing your, a book is you can put all your favorite sayings and quotes and book and whatever in in your in your uh, in your book so it's uh, uh, this is uh, this poem was next to a, a pond a shot of the pond you know with willows and all that uh, yeah thank you well thank you to our listeners for joining us today I'm your host, Vanessa Harmony of Colorado Edible Forest, joined by my co-host, Jerome Osentowski of Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute. You can get in touch with me at coloradoedibleforest.com, and you can get in touch with Matt and Jerome by visiting crmpi.org or by calling 970-456-3480. And Matt's direct email address is matt, M-A-T, at matthewdavis.com. That's M-A-T-H-E-W-D-A-V-I-S dot com. Tune in next month on KDNK on the third Monday of February at 4 p.m. for another episode of Living Permaculture. We'll talk to you then. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thanks. grandson remember in the days that are to come one thing I will tell you before my life on earth is done don't let time be only money don't let machines make you a slave and taste the milk and honey before all the streets are paved yeah there's more to time than money more to treasure than to save Taste the milk and honey Before all the streets Are paid